Hey everybody, this is Pastor James and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today we are starting chapter 4 and just like the previous chapters, we should be able to finish the whole chapter today. So let's get started and let's talk about Paul's relationship with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read verses 1-9 through together. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I have quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? You think you already have everything you need. You think you are already rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. I wish you really were reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. Instead, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to the people and angels alike. Okay, so um, this chapter gets pretty serious, and Paul throws out some pretty stern uh, arguments here. But starting off in chapter 4, Paul compares himself and Apollos as mere servants, and he uses the Greek word hyperitus, which is used to describe a servant that is functioning as a free man. And this is pretty important because the way that Paul explains our um, serving Christ and our slavery to Christ, that we're slaves of Christ and slaves of the gospel, it is very much a <clears throat> it is very much a servitude, like a, a type of bondage or slavery. You know, Paul says you're either slaves to the world or you're slaves to Christ, you, you, but you're you, we're not truly free. But it's a servant when it comes to Christ. It's a servant that acts as a free person. Now, the most common New Testament term for servant is doulos, which is translated to a common slave. But in this particular passage, Paul uses hyperitus, which was also used to describe um, sometimes an under rower, which is someone that would row on the the a big galley ship. They would row. And so basically they would row as the captain commands going in the direction that the captain wanted them to go. And so basically Paul is saying, listen, we're all slaves of Christ. Apollos and I are, are slaves of Christ. And, and yet we operate as free men, but we're, we're truly servants of Christ. And we also are like rowers. We're steering God's church in the direction that he is calling us to steer it. And, and Paul also refers to himself in this passage as a manager. And, and some translations call this a steward. And, and I probably like the word steward better because we understand a steward is someone who's put in charge of something that doesn't belong to them and they're only in charge of it for a certain amount of time, which a manager is the same way. You know, the manager of a store doesn't own the store, but they're in charge of the store. And, and so 
Um, steward is a little easier for us to understand because we just always consider a manager as someone who has authority, but a steward is someone who is just is given the rights to something for a short time. And, and this is still the understanding of a slave to the master, yet the steward of a house at this time was also the master over all the other slaves or the other servants. And so Paul considers himself a manager or a steward. So even though he's a servant of Christ, he's still uh, putting himself in the image of still being in charge of the other servants of the household of Christ or the kingdom of Christ or basically the church. So basically Paul's proclaiming himself as a manager of all of the Corinthians as well. Um, Now Paul's not elevating himself to positions of high regard and authority. You know, he's still casting himself in the light of a servant or a slave, just like the rest of the people of the church in Corinth. And um, you're asking, you might be asking, so okay, so what exactly is Paul and Apollos servants of? What are they managers? What are they stewards of? And so basically, Paul says this. You know, they're called to explain the mysteries of God. They are called to reveal truth to people. And yes, the truth of God, it is very mysterious to men and women of the world. You know, we've already talked about this in previous chapters. The wisdom of God, the message of Christ crucified, is foolishness to the world because they just can't understand it. But to everyone who believes, understands it to be the wisdom and the power of God that saves. And so, that's what Paul and Apollos are called to do. They're they're called to present truth even though it seems foolish it's truth and Paul goes on to say that it really doesn't matter what they think of him he's not concerned about what the Corinthians think about him or any other human thinks it doesn't even matter what Paul thinks and Paul even says that even though his conscience is clear like he doesn't have any guilt in his life or anything like that he still doesn't trust his own judgment as to whether or not he is being faithful And Paul explains that God is going to be the one that will examine and judge and decide whether or not Paul is faithful or the Corinthians are faithful. And Paul knows that as humans, we have this wonderful knack for justifying ourselves. And at the same time, we also have a knack for being too hard on ourselves. And as people, we tend to do one or the other. Most people are um, too easy on themselves. We justify a lot. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We may not give anyone else the benefit of the doubt, but we'll give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And there are a few people that are left over who are really too hard on themselves. They don't feel like they're doing enough. They don't feel like they're holy enough. They don't feel like they're righteous enough. And um, neither one is right. And very few people actually have the ability to clearly judge whether or not they are doing what they should be doing. Um, And this is especially true when it comes to religious things and Christianity when we serve the Lord. Paul is not talking about um, his conscience being clear because he's guiltless. He's talking about his conscience is clear because he's justified through Christ. And so even though Paul um, has a clear conscience, he's still not relying on his ability to judge himself in this and he talks very plainly about how we need to let God judge because that's his job and not to do this um, you know prematurely. In verse 5 begins to uh, get to the heart of the point where Paul is calling them not to judge anyone ahead of time and you have to remember that you know this is the Greco-Roman world 
and, and athletic events were a big part of this culture. Um, competition's a big part, and Paul is almost comparing them to judges of competitions, and the fact that they felt worthy or qualified enough to judge was very alarming. And, you know, as people, this is really difficult because in life we judge a lot of things. You know, we we evaluate a lot of things. We hire people based off of evaluations. We fire people off of that. We, um, you know, we choose relationships and friendships based off of a lot of that stuff. And so it's really hard when it comes to the kingdom of God and spiritual matters to remove ourselves from the ability to judge others because... Um, the people in Corinth felt very worthy of being able to judge Paul and the other apostles and rate them and choose which one they felt was most worthy of being followed. And Paul warns them, he says, listen, don't judge anyone. Don't try to elevate anyone above another because you don't really know who they are. And he reminds them that Christ is the only one that can judge because he's the only one who truly knows what's in a person's heart. And when he comes back and he judges the world, he's going to bring everything to light. And he's going to reveal our innermost thoughts and desires. And personally, that's really scary. Um, you got to notice that he says motives. Um, he's going to reveal people's motives or secret motives. And you ask yourself this question really quick. What motivates you? Why do you do what you do? Why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you profess to be a Christian? Um... You know, we've, we've had people ask me and other pastors, it's like, why do you get up and preach the message of the gospel? Why did you go into the ministry? And all those are really good questions to ask. Like, what are the motives behind all that stuff? Um, and, and all of those motives are going to be revealed. And so you might be able to hide them from the rest of the world. And, and people might give you praise for what you do. But Jesus knows why you do what you do. And there are some people who look really good according to what they allow other people in the world to see. But there are some people um, who have perfected the craft of polishing the outside of their cup while the inside of their cup is filthy and wretched. And this is why we as people, we have to be really careful not to judge because as intuitive as as some of us may be there's there has been a point in time in our lives where we have been fooled by people who only allow us to see what they want us to see i've been fooled by people in my life i'm sure you have as well so as intuitive as we like to think that we are all of us have been fooled but jesus knows and paul like a true leader of christ points this church back to the scriptures and says hey if you truly love God, if you truly obey the scriptures, you will not try to elevate one person over another at the expense of other people. It wasn't just a problem of exalting these leaders, but the problem was is they were trying to tear down other leaders, other apostles, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in order to uplift their, the people of their choice. And Scripture is the ultimate measuring tool upon which we should all gauge our understanding of someone. And even then, our understanding of people is an incomplete gauge because, because of us, not because of the Scripture. The Scripture's perfect, but we as people, we just don't know who people truly are, and we can only measure what we see and experience. Um, 
And so God's word, even though it's perfect, and that's what the tool that we should be using, a lot of times we just can't see the big picture. All right. Um, so Paul uses this great analogy of them boasting about their faith or their leader like it was something that they earned or worked for. And so Paul just reminds them everything's a gift from God. And because it's a simple and wonderful gift that you truly have nothing to brag about. And Paul talks about the pride of the Corinthians and how they consider themselves rich and they have everything they need and they consider themselves as leaders and they're already reigning in God's kingdom. He's receiving these messages about all the proclamations that the first that the Corinthians are making. And uh, Paul knows... You know, he, he's looking at the Corinthians, he's listening to what they're saying, and then he's he himself understands what he's going through in the name of Christ. But he also sees the other apostles, you know, the other disciples who are proclaiming the word of God and what they're going through. And, and the truth is, is that the apostles are suffering. And they're going without. And, you know, he knows that they're poor. Uh, it didn't matter which leader they chose for themselves. Their leader was poor. Uh, their leader was without they and all the blessings that the Corinthians had should not allow them to be elevated above others and make them question why they have more than the apostles did actually they should be questioning like if they consider themselves so great and already reigning in the kingdom then why aren't they looking more like the apostles and so Paul talks about how the apostles are lined up like prisoners of war, condemned to die. They're suffering. Um, you know, the the apostles are going, they don't have what they need. They don't have enough food to eat. You know, they're really suffering. And the Corinthians are boasting about all they have while the true servants of Christ are going without and they're dying for what they believe in while the Corinthians are just sitting around and they're having these intellectual conversations about why they are smarter and why they are wiser and why they follow certain people and they're trying to elevate themselves above one another while the apostles are suffering and dying. And so Paul is really just kind of trying to bring light to this situation that there's just a disconnect of what's going on, of what it means to truly follow Christ and what the Corinthians understand of what it means to truly follow Christ. All right? So uh, let's move on to verses 10 through the rest of the chapter. Let's read this together and then we'll talk a little bit more. It says, Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. Even now we grow hungry and thirsty, and we don't have enough clothes to keep us warm. We are often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our hands uh, with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. I am not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children, for, children, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ when I was preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. 
That's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. Some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit you again. But I will come, and soon, if the Lord lets me, and then I'll find, and then I'll find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or whether they really have God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come with a rod to punish you, or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? Alright, so, in this last half of this chapter, Paul uses sarcasm to really kind of get his point across. <clears throat> and the people of the church in Corinth love to feel honored, they love to feel powerful, they love to be wealthy, and they love to be wise. And they're proclaiming all these things, and this is why they're trying to elevate themselves above one another. But Paul talks about how he and the other apostles are weak, they're ridiculed, hungry, thirsty. Uh, they even lacked enough clothing to stay warm. They are beaten. They don't have homes. They work so hard with their hands to earn their own way. And Paul says that they're even treated like the world's garbage, like trash. Paul is really trying to reveal this disconnect between what uh, the Corinthians think is reality and what reality actually is. The Corinthian church believes themselves to be better than most of the apostles because they are wise and smart and wealthy and they have all they need. You know, it's kind of like that stumbling block of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that if you serve Christ, if you live for him, then he'll bless you and blah, blah, blah. It's like, Yes, Jesus will provide for you. I've never seen a poor Christian or someone go without who believes in Christ. But at the same time, I don't necessarily support the idea that if you serve Christ and if you live for him, then he will make you wealthy. He will bless you and bless you and bless you. I don't believe that's the message of the gospel. I don't believe that's God's purpose for us as believers. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's really important that you understand that the Corinthian church really believes themselves to be better than most of the apostles, but they're not having to sacrifice and suffer like the apostles are. So there's this huge disconnect in what they believe to be true and what truth actually is. And the apostles are suffering. I mean, dude, they're, they're living hard lives in order to see the message of the gospel spread while the Corinthians are really indulging in their carnal desires. They're struggling in sin. They're trying to elevate themselves above one another. There's just a big disconnect here. And so this passage, as we read this, should really make us as Christians reconsider our devotion and understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, we would love to be spiritual and as influential as Paul in the name of Christ. But when you think about it, like how many of us are actually willing to suffer in the same way as Paul suffered? Uh, we like to think of ourselves as good Christians, but... The way we understand Christianity in America is very different from the way that they understood it in New Testament times. The lives the apostles lived are very different from the lives that American Christians live. And I'm not saying that we should go out and try to suffer, that we should look for ways to um, you know, be without and, and have less as the apostles did. All I'm saying is, is that we really just have to be careful in how we judge and evaluate ourselves. Remember, Paul did not trust his own judgment even for himself. He was going to leave that to Christ. 
And so you have to be careful not to just assume that, oh, we're living great lives. Oh, we're doing exactly what Christ wants us to be. You know, sometimes we have to be humble enough to say, okay, God, I want to serve you more. I want to live for you more. Teach me how to follow you better. Um, Obviously, the Corinthians are very misled in this. I think for a lot of American Christians that we have been misled on this. And, uh, you know, Paul is just calling them to come back to reality and, and to see the disconnect that's actually there between what Christ has really called them to do and what they were actually doing. So um, so even in this, Paul slings out the sarcasm, especially in verse 14, when he talks about how he's, <clears throat> even though he's he uses sarcasm leading up to verse 14, in verse 14 he kind of brings it back to why he's, actually writing them. He's saying, look, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to warn you. And Paul, it's important to understand that Paul loves the Corinthians and he cares for them. The letter seems a little bit, I'm not going to say aggressive or hostile, but you, you see that Paul is really trying to correct them in this letter. He's trying to bring them back to reality. And so Paul loves them. He cares for them. And a good comparison for this would probably be the relationship between a parent and a teenager. You know, teenagers can be quite challenging. And, and as they're growing and maturing, they're wanting to be more independent. They're wanting more freedom. And they really challenge their parents in a lot of way. Um, but at the same time, they're still very dependent on their parents, but they would never admit it. And so as you look at the Corinthians, the Corinthians are trying to proclaim freedom. They're trying to proclaim uh, the fact that they're reigning in the kingdom of God, that they are wise, that they are spiritually mature. Um, but at the same time, they're really not. And so if you talk to a lot of teenagers, they would tell you, oh, I know this, I understand this, I have this, you know, I, I know more than you think I know. But you're sitting back and you're watching them, and in reality, you know it's like you don't know nearly as much as you think you know. You don't understand nearly as much as you think you understand. And if you're a parent who's gone through that, you get exactly what I'm saying. As a youth pastor, I've talked to hundreds of kids over the past couple of decades. I, I've had sit down and had a lot of really intense conversations with, with students over the years that are going through middle school and high school, and they really believe that they know more than they do. And I'm sitting there talking to them. I'm just like, these kids just don't get it. And, and it's really sad to say, like, I can remember times in my life where I really thought I got it, and looking back now, I'm just like, I didn't get a thing. But it's so hard to explain that to people when they're going through, and this is kind of what Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with this spiritually immature group of people who thinks they know more than they do, but they really don't. And he's trying to explain this to them. And he's trying to warn them. Uh, you know, Paul sees himself as their spiritual father. He preached the gospel to them, and they were saved under his teaching. And Paul comparing himself to their spiritual father is not a way for him to elevate himself or claim authority over them, but really it's a way to show how much he loves them and how much responsibility he feels for them and the fact that he does want the best for them. So in verse 16, uh, you have this really interesting verse, and a lot of people talk about this verse all the time, where Paul urges the church to imitate him. Now, just if you read this one verse at face value, it could seem very prideful. You know, it's like, how could Paul, who doesn't, you know, judge himself and doesn't try to think too highly of himself, thinks highly enough of himself to say, hey, 
um, you should imitate me because I think that I'm holy enough and spiritual enough that you should imitate me. But you have to look at this, this passage and understand what Paul is saying. As parents, you do this all the time with your children. Um, teachers, you do this all the time with your students. No teacher, mo- I'll say most teachers, most teachers don't stand up in front of their class and says, Hey, I'm the smartest person you know. You, you know. I'm way more smarter than your parents or anyone else, so you should listen to everything I say. No parent stands in front of their child and says, Hey, I'm absolutely perfect. You should do everything just as I do. You should listen to every word I say because I'm perfect and I don't make mistakes. That's not true. Like, no one would ever say that. No one in their right mind would ever say that. So when Paul is saying, like, imitate me, he's not saying, hey, I'm perfect. I'm more spiritually holy than anyone else. Imitate me. No, what he's saying is, is that comparatively to the church in Corinth, they are so spiritually immature that Paul can look at them and say, hey, guys, you don't understand what you're saying. You're not living the way that you should. And look, just... Do what I'm doing. Follow me. Imitate me. You know, there's so many things that I do with Perry and Naomi, our two children, that I just say, hey, watch what I'm doing. You know, do what I'm doing so you can learn how to do it. And whether it's teaching them how to read or teaching them how to count or teaching them how to tie their shoe or or teaching them how to figure out you know, the simplest things, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm going to send them off one day. To, to learn from other people who are way smarter than I am. But for right now, they can imitate me and they, it, it's, they'll grow. They'll grow and they'll learn if they imitate me right now. One day, hopefully, they'll get to the point where there's nothing else to learn or imitate from me. But for right now, they can learn and imitate from me. For this letter in 1 Corinthians, in, in verse 16, Paul is not claiming to be this like overly spiritually holy person. He's simply saying, look, you're so spiritually immature that just imitate me and you can grow and you can mature and you can do better in your relationship with God. And that's what Paul is, is wanting them to do. Um, Paul's not claiming to be perfect. He, it's, it's pretty obvious that the church in Corinth was spiritually immature. And so if they did anything like Paul did it, they could grow in their relationship with the Lord. And that's what Paul's saying. So... As a result of all this stuff, Paul is telling the church in Corinth that he is going to send one of his spiritual children named Timothy. And poor Timothy was often sent to problematic churches in the New Testament. We read a lot about that. Um, Timothy is one of Paul's most faithful and trusted ministers. um, And Paul uses him to help Uh, pour into these churches and invest in them to bring them along in their spiritual maturity. Now, many of the Corinthians believed that Paul was afraid to visit them. I mean, Paul had been gone almost two years at this point. Uh, Things had gotten out of control. You know, they were, um, you know, obviously indulging in sin. They were debating with one another. And they just felt like, ah, Paul's just afraid to come back. He doesn't even feel like he can stand against us because we've grown and we've done all this. Um, But Paul declares in this letter, he says, Look, I'm sending Timothy for the time being, but as soon as the Lord allows me to return, I'm going to come back to the church in Corinth, and I'm going to see if there's a person who is able 
to uh, stand against me. And we're going to see whether or not that you're just a group of people who likes to give these pretty speeches and fancy words, or whether or not you really have the power of God dwelling within you. And Paul says the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's a kingdom of living by God's power. And, and Paul did not rely on his wisdom or education. Paul relied on the simple fact of being filled with the Holy Spirit and living by the power of God. And that's what Paul was confident in. So Paul finishes up this chapter by asking them which, uh, which one do they want. Do they want him to come with a rod to punish them? Or do they want him to come with love and a gentle spirit? Paul's going to come back to the church in Corinth. And he can rebuke these people or he can love them and be gentle with them if they're willing to cooperate. Um, and the thing about being a Christian is is that love and gentleness should always be the first thing to come. You know, as believers, if we're humble and if we're willing to work with people and, and submit, you know, love and gentleness should be the first thing to come. However, if we refuse to repent and if we cling to our stubbornness like some of the Corinthians might do, Paul makes it clear that punishment's going to come. And so today, if you're a believer in Christ and you're listening to this, I just want to ask you, you know, which one would you prefer? Would you want love and a gentle spirit? Um, would you want patience and mercy brought to you? Or would you rather a rod be brought and to be punished? Um, you know, it's important for us to realize that when Jesus returns, he wants to bring the first. He wants to bring love gentleness and mercy but if we are stubborn and we cling to our stubbornness and refuse to repent he will bring the ride if we force him to so i challenge you guys to to really think about what it is that you want jesus to bring to you when he returns on that day let's pray together and i'll let you go father in heaven thank you so much for the opportunity to get together and read your word and to study it and pray and i ask god that you would reveal to us in special ways, um, the way that you would have us to live, the things you would have us to do, the ways you would have us to serve one another to better represent you. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be God's children of God, and we ask that you would guide us in all we do. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We are so thankful that you're a part of the Graham Chapel family. If you can't catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast, come in person. Uh, we would love to have you at church on Sunday morning, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. for our services. We are praying for you. We love you. Hope you have a great week.